Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, it says this. All night long, the people cried out in distress. They complained against Moses and Aaron and said, it would have been better to die in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. Why is the Lord taking us into that land? We will be killed in battle. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Let's choose a leader and go back. First Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 11. Paul says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning. Somebody say warning. It happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did. And don't grumble as some of them did. These things happened to them as an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. For the next few moments, I want to talk from a, the title, the message title, There's Nothing Back There. There's nothing back there. Look at your neighbor, look at him real good, probably for the last time, say there's nothing back there. Let's pray. Father, help us to remember that our best days are still ahead. Help us to not fall in love with the past that we can't follow you into the future. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. In this season of life, uh, as most of you know, if you haven't, uh, as Lindsay and I are expecting our first child, and she knows this, uh, that I'm hoping it will be our only, because uh, I didn't know y'all are expensive. I, I had no idea. But uh, as we, we step into this, I, uh, God's doing some deep work in me. He's revealing some things in me. And one of those things is, in this season of life, I am more concerned with, in fact, I am more committed to, I am more focused on the future than I ever have, than I ever have been before. Uh, not, I don't want to, it's not that I don't look at the past, I don't look back at the past, I'm just not focused on the past. Uh, I'm making an assertive effort to keep moving forward, to keep going, to pressing on, because I believe that my future is brighter than my past. And not only do I believe that about myself, I believe that for you. I believe that for every person in the room, that your best days are still ahead of you, that the best days are still to come, that for th those of you young people in the room, I would say maybe under the age of 20, you still got the rest of your life in front of you. There are great things to come. And for those of you that are older young people, you still have the rest of your life in front of you. Your best days are still ahead. And here's why I say this, because Paul said it this way, and I love the way that Paul wrote it in Philippians 3.13. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters. I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. However, this, this can kind of seem a bit contradictory. This can seem kind of confusing in scripture for scripture to tell us to remember God's miracles, but forget your past. Remember what God has done in your life, but forget the things that have caused pain or hurt 
or trial in your life. It's this weird tension. And I love to say it this way. I say it to the students all the, all the time, uh, and, and probably not as often as they remember, but I just, it's one of my favorite quotes, and uh, partly because I feel like uh, I made it up. I, I haven't heard anybody else say it, but it's one of my favorite things to say, and it's, if you can get your head out of your past, you can set your eyes on your future. It's one of my favorite things to say, and Pastor Will, why do you like saying that? Because I believe some of you are so stuck in your past, you still smell like the things that you've been through. You still have memories from your childhood that still haunt you as an adult. You have the idea of the mistakes you've made in your past walking alongside of you as if they are walking with you hand in hand. And for others of us, it seems no matter how, for, how far forward you go in life, how far ahead you get in life, your past somehow catches up with you. It, it runs up beside you. But I want you to know this, even if you have a problem with your past, even if you have problems in your past, there's still a promise in your future. There's still a promise in your future. Jeremiah 29, 11 says it this way, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He wasn't just saying that to Jeremiah, I believe he was prophetically saying that to us. He has plans to prosper you, plans to keep you, Plans to make you hopeful. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our world today, one of the things that we lack in our culture, in our society, is hope. That's why suicide levels are at an all-time high. People are hopeless. There's this, this old uh, <laughs> philosopher. He goes by the name of Tupac. <laughs> What's funny about Tupac is he made this statement one time. He said, uh, where, where, where there is no hope, people revolt. Now, I don't know Tupac to be a follower of Jesus, but I know there to be a line of truth in that. Where there is no hope, people have a tendency to just give up. Not Christians. So according to the verses we just read, I don't think God wants us to simply forget the past. I just think he doesn't want us to focus on it. He's not saying forget your past. He's saying don't let it be all you think about. Don't let it be the only thing that you keep your eyes on. He's trying to teach you and I. He's trying to teach us that we, have to, that we are to learn from the past, not live there. I meet so many people. It's, it's interesting. I love my job. I love what I get to do. Lindsay and I wouldn't trade this for the world. It's the most rewarding job. At the same time, it's the most taxing job in the world. But when I meet so many people, and I've met young people that are around the age 20, 21, 22, 25, 26, but they are 80 in their thinking. I'm like, wow. And then I meet older young people. I keep going back to that term because you're not getting older, you're getting better. I thought you would say amen, but I guess not. But I meet older people, and they're sharp. It's not that they fit in. They're not, they're not trying to go back to something. They just know who they are. They're not edgy. They just they have a sense of identity. And their, their eyes are still on the future. But I like to say it this way as well. If you don't let your past die, it won't let your future live. If you don't let your past die, it won't let your future live. Today I came to remind some and inform others because some of you are sitting here like, Pastor Will, I know this already. Yeah, well, this is a reminder. If you read scripture, if, you, if you're a Christian long enough, if you go through this life long enough, if you walk through this thing long enough, you'll realize God has a tendency to repeat himself. He consistently communicates to his children the things that we, ha that we have a frequency to forget. We always seem to forget God's word. So he continues to repeat himself for our benefit. Why does he do this? 
It's for our benefit. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, going back to what we read earlier, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. Point number one for my note takers, we can't afford to forget what others failed to learn in the wilderness. We cannot afford to forget what others failed to learn in the wilderness. I, I don't know about you, I love to learn. My students, I, I don't think, I think they're so done with school, they're like, I don't want to learn anything else. Because what's crazy about them, they may think they know it all. And parents, we all know they don't. But, you know, we get to this place where uh, we, we love to learn. We want to learn new things. And that's not an indictment towards them. We all can be like that at times in certain aspects. But I love to learn. I had a cousin over a few holidays a while back. I may have told some of you this before. Uh, I'm from this place called Georgetown, Georgia. It's like on the outskirts of Albany. Go dogs! by the way. I just, I'm so thankful. I'm just so thankful because they almost didn't make it. But, you know, uh, I'm from Georgetown, Georgia, and uh, it's, it's not the best place to be from. And I had a younger cousin say to me, you like being from Georgetown? I was like, I love it. I'm thankful for it. And here's the reason why I love it. I love my history. I appreciate my history, but I don't want to repeat it. I want to learn from it. And there's this old saying, this old adage, most of you know it, those that don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. So all throughout the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, young person or new Christian or seasoned believer, that's our history. We need to learn it. We need to learn the lessons. We need to learn what they failed to learn in the wilderness. We must learn from our past, not dwell there. Never be a prisoner to your past because it's a, it's a lesson. It's not a life sentence. Your past is a point of reference, not a place of residence. So many times our past feels so vivid because you still live there. You go back there to reflect but never to live. I want to ask you, though, what did, what did our ancestors forget? What was it? What is the thing they forgot? We, you, you said, we can't afford to forget what others failed to learn in the wilderness. But Pastor Will, what did they forget? This is really where I want to go this morning. This is what they forgot. They forgot the miracles. They forgot the signs. They forgot the wonders. They forgot the power. They forgot the deliverance. They forgot that God was with them. They neglected, they neglected God, excuse me, but remembered Egypt. They, they forgot about God, but they remembered the bondage. Numbers 11 verses 1 through 6, it says, Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. These people are crazy. Like, if you've ever had to wonder in the Bible if the Israelites lost their mind, these people are they're crazy. I'm, it's, it's insane to me. These people have been crying out for freedom for 400 years, and their first complaint is to go back. Could you imagine praying for something for 400 years? You experience it, you get it, and then the first thing you do once you experience it is you complain about it. The reason you can agree is because we do it all the time. You pray for that, that kid, and now you want to hurt him. <laughs> Lord, I just, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. You pray for that spouse. And he, all y'all are nervous. So I can't say amen because I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Let's, let's lighten it a little bit. You prayed for that job. You prayed for that raise. You, you prayed for it, and this is what we tend to do. This, matter of fact, this is what I want to say to you. Be careful with your words because your complaining can be just as loud as your prayers. Your complaining can be just as loud as your prayers. 
We tend to forget this. And then if, if we're not careful, we will begin to complain about the things we once prayed for. And I'm sure the wilderness wasn't as hard as slavery. They began to complain about the hardships. This is another thing I want to tell you. A lot of this isn't even on the notes. This is just what I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me through those four verses. Choose your heart. Choose your heart. Life is hard by itself, but choose your heart. Verse 2, Numbers 11. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people. For those of you that love Jesus, and Jesus is soft and meek and mild. He's got blonde hair and blue eyes. He has a British accent. If that's your God, I just want you to know that's not the God in the Bible. He is lamb-like, but he's also lion-like. He, he has a, a, a toughness about him. It says his anger blazed among them. He destroyed some of the people. Our God? Destroying people? He destroyed some of the people. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. And when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. Pastor Will, why, why, what's, it, what's in that? What are you trying to show us there? From my vantage point, this teaches me that the same people that complain about you are usually the same people that ask for your help. The same people that complain to you are the same people that ask for your help. They're screaming at Moses. They're complaining to Moses and Aaron. They're complaining to their leadership. God overhears the complaints. He don't even say enough is enough. He doesn't even deal with Moses and Aaron. He deals with the people. Burns them up. The same people that complain about your leadership, your role, your parenting, are the same people that ask for your help during their hardship. And as the leader, as the parent, as the boss, as the person, you cannot take it personally because they're not complaining against you. They're complaining against your God. As Christians, this, this is the posture we take. Unfortunately, and again, I, I know we got to speak to unbelievers. There may be some unbelievers in the room, but before I get to the unbeliever, I got to deal with the believer. We have a tendency to take a spirit of offense. It is our most natural position. As, as Christians, and it's sad specifically in Christian circles. But people aren't complaining against you. They're complaining against your God, and he had to deal with them. Verse 4, the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites. Again, you got to picture this. Millions of people are on their way out of Egypt. They are out of bondage. They've already crossed, this, they, they've crossed the sea. They went on dry land. They're headed somewhere. And it says the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. They began to crave the good things. of. There's nothing good about bondage. There were good things in slavery. There's nothing good about bondage. There's nothing back there. Verse 5, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. They were talking about free onions, free garlic. The only thing that sound good, sounded delicious in that whole list was melons. Nothing else sounded good. I don't even like cucumbers. I mean, it's just none, none of this sounded appeasing. What, what was interesting is they had everything they wanted except freedom. The food was free, but they were not. They had developed a desire for what was destroying them. It sounds like us. 
Be careful that you don't develop an appetite for anguish where you begin to confuse abuse with love, where we become a people addicted to pain and suffering, where we enjoy being injured because that's the only time you feel something. They were in love with pain. We remember the food that we used to eat for free. The food that they had, that they remembered, that they enjoyed, was almost more enjoyable than the whips, than the chains, than the work. Here's why this is interesting. Be careful, for you may receive what you have a taste for. Let us go back. Verse 6, all we ever see is this manna. Somebody say manna. What's funny to me is all, this is literally how that translates. All we ever see is this, what is this? This is all we ever see. It's this manna, this thing that God gave us. All, that's all we ever see. And Deuteronomy 8.3 says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The word is all you need in the wilderness. They were complaining. They were being fed from heaven and complaining about it. They were being fed supernaturally and complained about it. First Corinthians 10, three, all of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water. What's interesting, what's interesting to me is this, God can be feeding you, providing for you, protecting you. You can be in the house of God. You can be in the presence of God. You can come to church and that still not be enough for you. God can be taking care of you, keeping you, hedge of protection around you, and that still not be enough for you. They started complaining. I, I want to go back. I, I, I want to go back to what was. We can all be eating and drinking from heaven and still be hungry for something else. Our pastors, I love my pastors. We got some of the best pastors in the world. I, and you, whether you believe that or not, I believe that because I wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for them. But the reason I love them is because I know my pastor hears from the Lord. He goes up to the metaphorical mountain, if you will. He goes and talks to our father. He goes and hears from him and he goes and gets manna. He goes and gets a fresh word to come back to feed the people. And they pray and they seek his face. They don't seek his hand, they seek his face for you on our behalf. And all we ever see is this. What is this? We complain about things that don't matter. Christian, I mean, come on, guys, y'all are on social media, most of you. You have conversations at work. We, we complain in the comments. We complain in the text messaging. We can be in the presence of God and complain about what he's feeding us. God gave them free food, free clothing, free water from a rock. Everything was free. Somebody say free. God miraculously provided for food for them in the wilderness but it wasn't the kind of food they wanted. It's funny to me because my dad, I love my dad when we grew up. Uh, I, I think I told the students in Louisiana this two weeks ago. I got a chance to be there for their youth convention, and it was great. I mean, I enjoyed it. But I was telling them this story that when I was a kid, my mom would always cook for my dad but right before he got home because he, he was a truck driver, and he would get up early, and he would come home late. And by the time he got there, one of his favorite meals, which was my least favorite meal, one of his favorite meals was Brunswick stew. For those of you that are saying, mmm, God bless you, because I was like, it's a texture thing. I'm like, what's in this? I don't, I don't know. I don't like it. I just, it's weird. It's, it's red. It's stringy. 
no, I don't want it. And so my mom would say, I would, go, I would come home. Now, parents, again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the parenting mode. I'm learning some things. For those of you that are asking me, am I prepared to be a parent? This is what I'm gonna tell all of you so you don't have to ask. <laughs> I'm aware of what I don't know. And I know that I got a lot to learn. So, but here's, here's the thing. So I come home at 3.30, 3.30, 4 o'clock, if it wasn't basketball season. Mom, what's for dinner? Because I'm learning, I'm remembering that when kids come home, they want to eat everything. And it's not just the groceries, they will wreck a pantry. Like they'll do, they will destroy. Uh, so I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I'm going back to my childhood, and I'm like, Mom, what's for dinner? I, rem I can remember coming off, getting off the bus, going home, popping the house. Mom, what you cooking? And I hear the dreaded words, Brunswick stew. <laughs> and so I remember one day in particular, I'm sitting at the table. My dad's at the head of the table, I'm sitting there. And um, my mom brings us all a meal or whatever. And the Brunswick stew is sitting there. And I look at her, I was like, Mom, I don't want this, but I'm hungry. And my dad said to me the most famous words of all parents, well, you must not be hungry then because that's all you're going to get. <laughs> like, that's, all, that's all you're getting. Mom, your, your mom's not cooking anything else. But I don't want this, then you're not hungry. But it goes back to it wasn't the kind of food they wanted. Isn't that like us to pray for food and not like what God prepares? Oh, I just don't like that kind of preaching. So I go on YouTube to get the kind of food I like. Uh-oh. I like my favorite preacher is this person. I, I, I like them. I want to listen to them. I wish people preached like them. I wish they led like them. I wish they served like them. Well, that, that's not what God gave you. You must not be hungry then. Our problem is we're really good at remembering the things we should forget. Now, I'm not saying you need to completely forget your past, but you do have to learn from it. They remembered the wrong things. We cannot afford to forget what others failed to learn in the wilderness. We can't. They remembered what they had in the past and failed to focus on what they were experiencing in the present. Freedom. Somebody say freedom. So, Pastor Will, you told us what they forgot. What did they fail to learn? They were free, but failed to realize that freedom wasn't a location. It was a mentality. Freedom had nothing to do with their locale. It had everything to do with their mind. The enemy of freedom is a slave mindset. And freedom is so special that God will keep you out of it. Freedom is so special to God that it makes it hard to get to. He makes it difficult to get to. Why? Because freedom is a difficult place to live. And everybody that's free said amen. Because all you do your whole time, for those of you that went through our freedom curric curriculum, and if you haven't, you need to go through it. But you'll go through freedom, you'll experience it, and then you have a different perspective. You realize all the people I'm around are bound. I'm trying to, and then you realize the people around you aren't a circle, they're a cage. You're trying to be free and you can't. That's why so many believers, they're saved, but they're not free. They're delivered, they're not free. And nothing can corrupt Canaan more than a captive way of thinking. That's why Canaan demands conversion. Before you go into your promised land, you gotta be converted. Because God is more concerned with your transformation than he is your relocation. 
He could care less to take you out of a place. It's not just about changing your location. It's about transforming you before you get there. Why is this important? Because your mentality is more important than your location. When I, I talked about being from Georgetown. I was in Georgetown physically, but I wasn't in Georgetown in my mind. My mom helped shape some things in me. She let me experience some things that the people around me never experienced. She was showing me a different way of living. I was able to get my head out of my past and put my eyes on my future. She let me see some stuff. And people in this room, you've seen some stuff. God never takes oppressed people directly into freedom. God never takes them there because their mind is the problem. Meaning they were physically free, but they were mentally bound. Meaning if you don't change mentally, you stay where you are physically. That's how you can move and still be the same. Let me explain it. Just, you know, for example, you can change houses. You can change jobs. You can change addresses. You can change spouses. That doesn't mean you changed. You can change all those things about you. You can change all those external things, but that doesn't mean something changed in you because you're still dealing with the same problems. Because you changed everything around you, but you, you refused and didn't allow God to transform anything in you. When Moses delivered Israel out of Egypt, where he was bringing them to, uh, that, that's always a question. Where was he bringing them to? Where, where, where was God taking them? And most of us, if you're a, a Bible nerd, if you've been you know, doing this thing called faith for a while, all of us, would, they would say, matter of fact, let's just do this. I'll ask you the question. Where was Moses leading the people? Oh, y'all got nervous. Uh, the promised land, question mark. The promised land, yes. You agree? That's not right. Pastor Will, you set us up. No, I didn't. Because I just saw this the other day. He wasn't leading them to the promised land. Five times God said to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. Pastor Will, why did he send them to the wilderness? I, I, I don't understand. He was leading them to the promised land. You are correct. But before they got there, he was leading them to the promised land. Why? Because God wants to bring you to the promise. He doesn't want to bring you to the promised land. He wants to bring you to the promiser first. He led them to the wilderness to worship him. Because I, I think what would have happened if the Israelites went from Egypt straight into Canaan, Canaan would have became a place of idolatry as opposed to a place of worship. They would have been more excited about what God gave them as opposed to who got them there. And that's just like us. They remembered the things they should have forgotten. So what's God's plan for, for the wilderness? And as I said, this, there's a lot in this. But we're going to try to finish as much as I can. But what's God's plan for the wilderness? What, what does God want to do for us in the wilderness? God wants to do these three things in the wilderness. It's for isolation, confrontation, and transformation. The wilderness is for isolation, confrontation, and transformation. Pastor Way, I don't like any of those words. They're necessary. I'm going to explain why. It's where he isolates you to deal with you. Not everybody else. We like, we like y'all. Come on. I, I ain't been doing this my whole life, but I've been doing this a little bit. You, you've been in a church service now where you're like, that's a good word. That was for you. Like, you, you, we all do it. You should have been there today. He was, the pastor was talking about you. You're laughing because it's true. You know, we do it all the time. We share social media clips from things that we hear people saying like, man, if Ray Ray hear this, it's, it's going to change little Ray Ray life. 
I always use Lil Ray Ray as an example. There might be a real person named Lil Ray Ray. Ray Ray, I'm praying for your salvation, bro, like for real. He isolates you to deal with you. He confronts you in your issues. It's not me, Pastor Will, it's everybody else. He, it's, it's where he transforms you. You may not like the wilderness, but we all got to go through it. We all have to go there. We all have to go to and through the wilderness. But Pastor Will, what is the wilderness? I know Egypt is bondage. Egypt is slavery. But what is this thing called the wilderness? Please write this down. It's the season that God leads you to to discover the real you. It's the place where you go to die so that the you God has called you to and created you to be can live. The wilderness is where you come face to face with who you really are. The wilderness is where the old you goes to die so the new you can live. The wilderness is a desert. It's a transitional place. It represents a time of testing. We all got to go through the wilderness. The wilderness is when you're out of Egypt, you're out of bondage, you're out of prison, but you're not in Canaan. You're not in the blessing yet. You're not in the promise yet. You, you're not where you were, but you're not where you're going. Things aren't as good as they used to be, but they're not as bad as they once were. It's the middle. And if you're going to transition, you must allow God to transform you. He does this in the wilderness. Exodus 13, 17 through 18. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. That, that's interesting to me because that's the giant that they'll fight later. He, he doesn't lead them through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Listen to me, people. God doesn't use shortcuts with your development. God, God never changes you fast. Exodus 13, 17, 18. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, somebody say battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Battle represents responsibility. It represents pressure. It represents struggles in life. It represents hardships. He had to prepare them. Why? If the people prematurely faced a battle they weren't prepared for, they would have returned to Egypt. If they weren't ready to fight, they would have, they would have went back to what God had already delivered them from. And that's just like us. God didn't want them to get into a fight before they were prepared to fight. God doesn't want you to go through something before you're prepared to go through it. We misquote scripture a lot, but one of the things I am sure of that is in God's word is that when you go through a season, a time of testing, he will prepare a way of escape for you. So in the process, he prepares you for what you're being tested in. God didn't want them to get into a fight before they were prepared to fight. Pastor Mark always says this. He says, faith that has not been tested is faith that cannot be trusted. I love that because scripture, it, it, it solidifies this. Romans 5, 3 and 4. We also brag when we are suffering. We know that suffering creates endurance. Endurance creates character. And character creates confidence. James chapter 1, verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Deuteronomy 8, 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. You go through the wilderness so he can test you. 
The wilderness is where where God develops who you are and prepares you for the battle to come. The thing is, though, you cannot train forever. You can't be in the wilderness forever. You can't stand there and continually go through preparation after preparation after preparation because some of you, you have so much analysis that you're paralyzed by what you know. And that's why we end up having Christians who have a lot of word and they sit on it. They don't use it. God is preparing you for something. First Corinthians 10, when all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Point number two, wherever God leads you to, he will always lead you through. Wherever God leads you to, he will always lead you through. If he leads you to the wilderness, he'll lead you through the wilderness. If he leads you to the Red Sea, he'll lead you through the Red Sea. If he leads you to a battle, he'll lead you through the battle. He's good at what he does. The wilderness is only negative when you stay there longer than you're supposed to. That's the only time the wilderness is negative. When you stay in a place longer than you're supposed to. This trip should have taken them 40 days. It took them 40 years. It took them one day to get out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. That's a long time. It's only negative when you stay there longer than you're supposed to. They were coming out of Egypt, coming out of oppression. They could have even been singing, I'm coming out. That's not true, but they were were coming. But they didn't know they were being led through the sea to and through a wilderness, not realizing they were being led through isolation, frustration, and testing. Unfortunately, there are still some people who won't make it because they want to go back. There's some of us in the room that won't make it because you want to go back. Because we have to let God change our mind. And until your mind is free, you're a prisoner not only to the past, you're a prisoner to the wilderness. And this is why we got to, before I go to the next point, stay away from still people. I say this to my young people all the time. You got to stay away. I say it to your young people all the time. Stay away from still people. Still gossiping. Still mean. Still Still irritable. Still selfish, still angry, still religious, still legalistic. Stay away from still people because they're still going to be where they were when you walk away from them. Point number three, probably the most important one. If we can't get over the past, we are unnecessary for the future. If we can't get over the past, we are unnecessary for the future. Pastor Will, why'd you say we? Because I find myself in this position where I'm getting stuck where I like what was, because what was is comfortable. What was is familiar. I know I can go back to what was because I know how to get back there. I just got to turn around, but to keep going, that's uncertain. I don't want to go that way. I don't want to be led by a cloud. I don't want to be led by fire. If we're honest, sometimes we don't want to be led at all. We want to lead God. We want to walk, and God, you coming with me? Okay, good. Like he's some little, like he's your child. And matter of fact, he ain't even, you ain't even holding her hand. It's the new thing. He got a leash. <laughs> Come on, like it, it's it's sad. First Corinthians ten three through five. 
Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking. They indulged in pagan activity. This is what that means. They were, they, they were, it was drinking that led to debauchery. It was lewd behavior that led to loose, uh, lustful living. It was to rebel without moral restraint. And, and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. If we can't get over the past, we are unnecessary for the future. Let me say it this way. If you don't change your mentality, God will bury you in the wilderness. If you do not let God change your mind, he'll bury you in the wilderness. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to die in the wilderness. I definitely don't want to die in Egypt. But if I got to be prepared in the wilderness for a battle, even though I might not get to live in Canaan, I'd rather go to Canaan and fight and die and die trying to get to my promise as opposed to dying in the wilderness. If you change your mind, if you don't change your mind, God will bury you in the desert. And if God didn't let you die in Egypt, if he didn't let you die in the wilderness, I don't think God will let you die. Before, he won't let you die before the battle. Don't die before you get to the place God is sending you to live. That's what the Holy Spirit told me to tell you. Don't die before you get to the place God is sending you to live. You're abdicating your promise by refusing to go forward. Don't die before you experience what he's calling you to live in. So they all died. All of them. And what I want to tell you is that wherever God is taking you, you can't take everything and everyone with you. You can't take all the things with you. Some people won't make it. And here's why. Because our memory of the pain is sometimes greater than the memory of his promise. That the pain of our wounds is sometimes louder than his word. And we forget. And promises don't even sound like good things when you're still imprisoned in your mind. God gives you a promise. It still doesn't sound good when you're still stuck in your way of thinking. I told you I would deliver you. I told, I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you wouldn't, that the land that I promised them, I'm giving to you. This was a generational promise. Pastor Will, why can't everybody go there? Because if we don't get over the past, we are unnecessary for the future. Numbers 14, 26 through 35. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints against me. Yes, I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell me this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, watch this part, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. You said your children will be carried off as plunder. Well, I will bring them safely into the land. Watch this part. They will enjoy what you've despised. They will enjoy what you hated. But as for you, you will drop dead in the wilderness and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness. Until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it's like to have me for an enemy. 
the Lord has spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community. Some translations say, I will certainly do this to every member of the congregation who has conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in the wilderness and here they, here they will die. God takes rebellion seriously. He takes disobedience seriously. He takes, he deals with unrepentant people harshly. I don't, I don't think it's God's will to use death to change you. That's not what he wants to do. He doesn't want to use the threat of killing you somewhere you're not supposed to live as a means for you to change your life. But your refusal to change can kill you. The refusal to change has life-threatening consequences. And listen to me, change is easier than death. Change before you have to. If you can't get over the past, you are unnecessary for the future. The last thing I want to sh share with you is in Revelation 21.5. It says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Somebody say new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I have to tell what, what for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Pastor Will, but you don't know the good old you don't know the good old days. God was good. He was good back then. Man, you, we used to have church back in the day, Pastor Will. You have no idea. I, I like the old songs, the, the old ones, you know, the, old, the oldies but goldies. Like, I love the old music. Pe people aren't like how they used to be. This new generation, they are, Lord help them. I miss what was. I, I, I miss God was so good back then. Listen to me. God was good then and he's still good now. This generation, nothing in our life right now has caught him by surprise. He is not in heaven like, oh, myself. It has occurred to me that we are in trouble. I didn't know. That's not, that's not, how, this, that's not how this is supposed to go. But I want to ask you, if God was only good in the past, where is your hope for the future? If God was only good then, where is your hope for the next generation? Where is your hope for your next season of life? Pastor Mark says it so well. You were not created just to exist and die. To have a job for 40 years, 50 years and retire and, and, and just meander through the rest of life. That's not what you were called to. I know how good things were back then. I didn't experience them, but you told me about them. I listened to you. My grandfather was my favorite person on this planet, and I would listen to his stories. I got a family member in the room. We don't know if all his stories were true, but we love listening to all of them. And he's back there laughing and nodding his head right now. He's like, yep, that's him. Don't look, because he might turn red. We light-skinned. <laughs> but I would listen to my grandfather, and he would tell me stories. He would teach me lessons from my ancestors. And I listened to him. And he would talk about how good God was. And he lived through some things. He experienced some things. He went through some heartache. But, but he never said that God was only good when he lived. He said, son, God is going to be good to you too. The power of my God is greater than the memory of the things he has done. If he was only good then, that means your God is limited to your memory and your experience. And if that's your God, that saddens me.
I believe it grieves, it even angers him that you love what, once, what, what he once did more than what he wants to currently do. This whole thing came from a place from a conversation I was having with Pastor Mark and Pastor Michelle. And I heard this quote in a podcast. I don't know who said it. I just heard the phrase. I was listening to it driving on the road. And um, I was actually headed to Target. And I was about to walk in. However you feel about Target, I was going to Target, you know. Target, but I like it. It's convenient. Because until Walmart gets Apple Pay, I'm going to Target. Because I forget my wallet all the time. But <laughs> I was going into Target and I was listening to this podcast. And this phrase, I mean, I heard it as clear as day. It's the last point. I want you to write it down. What's not transformed is transferred. What's not transformed is transferred. Why did God kill an entire generation? 40 years. That's rep that represents a generation. 40 years. Why did he kill them? Partly because I think he didn't want the, uh, the next generation to have to fight giants that the first one should have killed. I think that's part of it. I think the other reason was because the new generation had no idea of oppression. They weren't born in it. They didn't experience it. They don't know what it's like to remember the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. All they know is preparation. They were born in the wilderness. And they had this sense of, we ain't supposed to live here. We've been circling this mountain for a long time. I remember because I, I put a star right there. Last year, same time, we crawled. Like they, they just knew we, we ain't, we're not supposed to be here forever. There's something greater. They knew we weren't walking in circles. We were training. We were getting our strength together. And the reason I say that is because as I was going into Target, back to Target, everyday life of Will, I'm going into Target. And again, Lindsay and I are bringing our first child into the world. Lucy ain't even here yet, and she's teaching me things about me. And y'all, I don't like it. She ain't even here yet. I'm like, you already on punishment. Go to your room. Go to sleep. <laughs> Take a nap. Please do all those things. So I'm, I'm sitting here, and the Lord, I hear that phrase, and I feel like the Lord says to me, Will, I'm doing a quick work in you. And the reason I'm doing this is because if you don't let me transform some areas of your life, you will transfer them to your daughter. Not me. And I don't know how God deals with you. I don't know how he speaks to you. I know how he speaks to me. He speaks to me fast. Like real quick. It just takes. I feel like sometimes the Lord is in heaven and he's just looking at me. And I know I'm about to say or do something I ain't got no business doing. I just, you right. You right. I don't even look up. I'm like, you right. You right. I got it. Look somewhere else, please. But the reason I'm telling you this is because the message title wasn't an accident. It's not, there's nothing back there. It's because there's nothing back there to look at. So I'm telling you not to look back, but to look forward, to look up. Because even when you do mess up, his eyes are still on you. And the promise is still in front of you. But if you don't let God transform some things in your life, you will transfer them to generations to come. You will transfer them, Christian, to an unbeliever. And that's not what God has called us to. I'm going to ask if everybody will stand, if you don't mind. Back there is never, it's never as good as you remember. 
it's never as good as you remember. Like, just for laughs, just to lighten the mood a little bit, because it, it's kind of heavy and I get it. But, like, yeah, okay, the, this debate, who's the greatest, Michael Jordan or LeBron? It doesn't matter. They're both great. And God is, and, and excuse me, Michael Jordan is great to you because you saw him as you grew up. And LeBron is good to, or great to this generation because they saw him grow up. But guess what? Just like you are the MJ fan and then the others are the LeBron fan or whoever else, they're going to grow up one day and there'll be somebody else. And then that next generation is going to call them old just like we call you old. As a millennial, one of the most detrimental things they ever told my generation, they put this pressure on us. It was like, you're the future. This all depends on you. Everything hinges on your generation. That they neglected to tell me that it's only for a certain amount of time. That it's, yeah, the future depends on me, but the future has to be passed off to somebody else. That God doesn't move through one person, he moves through people. That God doesn't move on one generation, he moves through generations. I'm gonna read some verses in Psalm 78, but before I get there, the reason I'm telling you this is because they had a promise. And this is for those of you who've been waiting on a promise from God for a long time. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everybody to change. Pastor Will, why does he want everybody to change? because we don't need to repeat history. Psalm 78, and we'll, we'll be done. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty, his mighty wonders. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying all his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. What I want to say to you is don't be like our ancestors. Stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. That describes religious people. Stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. Father, I pray for every person in the room today that we choose to reset our mindset, that you renew our mind. Today, we decide that Egypt is not an option. That going back is not an option because there's nothing back there to go back to. 
I pray this in the name of Jesus.